We're in this story, uh, in this series titled The New Normal, right? And this series is about what to do when you th- what you thought you knew turns out not to be true anymore, right? A lot of things have changed. A lot of things have transpired since the pandemic started and things are still evolving. Things are still changing. And Lord answered my prayer. I can actually sit now, uh, even though it's outside and freezing, I can sit at a restaurant and stuff my face. I was here working last night and I drove by the, the Mexican restaurant. I was actually going to the store, but it was packed. It was packed. And I was like, see, everybody felt my pain, right? And And so the things that we kind of knew as normal back then have started to change. And and what do we do with that, right? We've talked about changing that we need to figure out and we need to start changing things in our lives. We need to build up our faith. We need to be better and do better with our relationships. And last week we talked about the Sabbath, right? We need to find rest. Anybody practice the Sabbath? Anybody take heed to that? Okay, no, not one of you. Oh, one. Thank you. Thank you. I did as well. And a few others in the first service, we did as well. And it was good. It was much needed and well-deserved, right? The rest of you get on board. Get with it. Start taking the Sabbath, all right? And so today, we're going to wrap up our series. This is the last week of our series. I'm going to wrap it up with a talk on finances, right? Finances, right? And, and, and so I want to start off by this. I want to throw out a number at you. All right, I'm just going to throw out a number at you, and I want you to think about how that particular number makes you feel, right? You don't, gotta, don't verbalize it or anything, just let, process that, right? It might take you a little bit of time to process the number, but let it process, let it sit, right? Marinate for a few seconds on that. Is that cool? So here's the number. The number is 1 billion and 50 million dollars. One billion, fifty million dollars, right? I, I think it has about six zeros, right? Because it's just a big number. Some of you have never even counted near that number, right? And so think about that number for a second. How does that make you feel that when you hear that number? One billion and fifty million dollars, all right? This is the amount that one person won in last week's Mega Millions jackpot lottery. Million. Like, you can see, I don't, that billion never comes out of my mouth. Right? It's not a word I use often. Right? One billion and fifty million dollars that one person won. Not divvied up amongst others, but one person won. And last week's Mega Million Jackpot Lottery. Now, before you start running to the lotto machines, right? Let's clear that out. Let me tell you what that translates into the lump sum, that one lump sum money. That equals to 776.6 million dollars. Someone is writing a check for 700 and you, there's not enough space on the check to add those zeros. Somebody's getting $776.6 million. Good Lord, that's a lot of money. 
What would you do with that? What would you do with that amount of money? How would you feel knowing that that money is sitting in your account? What would you buy? Right? I don't think there's anything that you cannot buy. Right? Where would you go? It's endless now. Tahiti, Bahama. Can't finish the rest of that song. Who would you share it with? Would you share it with anyone? Would that, would that, <laughs> would that officially make you rich? Right? That, that number, would that officially make you rich? Now, let me, let me ask you this. Let's forget about that enormous amount of number that we can't even pronounce. All right, let's forget about that money. Would you consider yourself rich today? Would you consider yourself rich today? Because here's the thing. We are rich. We are. Nothing wrong with your name, Rich. That's a great name for you. Right? That's a great name for you. But we are rich. You may not feel it. Right, You may not feel like you're rich, but you are. I'm going to share a couple of things with you right now, kind of crazy things that I want you to consider with this same thought of that we are rich. If you make $37,000 a year in income salary, you are in the top 4% of the wealthiest people in the world. Top percent, top 4% of wealthy people on earth. If you make $48,000 a year, that puts you in the top 1% of the world when it comes to your resources, financial resources. So financially speaking, the difference between you and Bill Gates and outside of the U.S. Let that sit for a few as I share this story. Bill, excuse me, Bill Gates traveled to India uh, a number of year, year, years ago as a, uh, in a, as a, in a philanthropic uh, visit. He, he visited a woman in, uh, in her hut, in her house, right? So that he can learn about her health, care, and other needs that she had. And when he left, the journalist that was accompanying them asked, yeah, he asked, uh, she asked the woman if she realized that the richest man in the world had just been in her house. And unfazed by it, she responded, everyone who visits from the West is rich. Right? So from her perspective, America or Americans are so rich that we are equally rich. 
She doesn't distinguish between who is more rich than the other. The fact is, from her perspective, right, from her perspective, every American is rich. But do we feel rich? Do we feel rich? Most of us don't feel rich, right? I think there's an important distinction between being rich and feeling rich. There is a difference between being rich and feeling rich. It really comes down to comparison. When my girls were younger, they would ask, right, we, we, we lived in Puerto Rico, and um, we had a pool in ours. We rented a home, and we had a pool in the house. And, and, and so my kids would ask me if they were rich. Then to my childhood, the way I grew up, we actually were. We were rich because I never had a pool when I grew up. In fact, for me growing up, Going out to eat was a luxury. In fact, going out to eat at McDonald's was a luxury for me. We didn't eat at fancy restaurants with the plastic tablecloths. Right? That was way, that's just, that's way up there. I got to walk into the king's kingdom. I got to work at, what, go into Burger King. I got to sit under a plastic tree for McDonald's. Anybody remember those? <laughs> but that was me growing up. So in comparison to my childhood, my kids were rich. In comparison, again, to what I had growing up, my kids are rich. In comparison to what Bill Gates' kids had growing up, my kids are poor. In comparison to some of the families that live here in Santa Clarita, my kids, I am rich. In comparison to some other families in Santa Clarita, I am poor. Right? Does that make sense? You see, I believe rich, not you, rich is a moving target. A moving target. It's hard to actually... What you consider to be rich may not, what you consider to be rich may not be what I consider to be rich, may not be what your fellow congregants may consider to be rich. But regardless of whether you feel rich, the reality is that based on the numbers I shared with you earlier, that we are rich. The reason we're talking about finances today is something that we all had to deal with prior to COVID. It is something that we had to deal with during COVID, and it is something that we're going to have to deal with after COVID. So it matters. It is important. Some of us had a healthy approach in our finances. We had a healthy plan uh, uh, in, in our finances, and 2020 wasn't a struggle. Praise God, right? There may have been some fear in there, but the floor didn't fall out, right? You, you, you came out on top, right? And praise the Lord for that. Some of us had a healthy 
approach to our finances and 2020 came in and all of its craziness and it shot holes in our strategies and our budgets, right, and in our savings and in our careers. And we struggled. We struggled during this season. And there are some of us who didn't have a healthy approach whatsoever to our finances and 2020 compounded Right? It added to this reality of the craziness and it made things absolutely miserable for us. So saying that it was tough is actually an understatement when it comes to our finances. But here's the thing, church. This is not a new problem. Right? This is not a new problem and it's not a 2020 problem. And it's not a COVID problem. It's a money problem, and it's a human problem. The apostle Paul addresses this in a letter that he wrote to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19, he says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Verse 19, by doing this, Right? By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. We're going to dissect this a little bit, right? Because Paul says some incredible things here, incredible nuggets that I think is important for us to grab onto today. So right away, Paul acknowledges that money does something to us. Money changes us. No matter how hard you fight it, money changes food. It brings about arrogance, okay? People obsess over money out of pride, out of a status, right? They want more status. They want more power. They want more stuff. And when we want more power, when we want more status, we want more stuff. It brings about pride. It it oozes out. He also said it becomes, money becomes the source. I have to say that. Carefully, because for New Yorker, sauce it becomes hope. People obsess over money out of fear because they want security. They feel like they need security. And so it brings about this fear that if, in order to be secure, in order to feel safe, I'm going to need more money. And so I'm going to put all of it, all of my hope, all of my goals based on money. Now, with that being said, I think it's also important to note that Paul, Paul isn't against money, right? He's not anti-wealth. That's not what he's saying whatsoever, right? Just a few verses earlier in his letter to Timothy, there's a verse that many of us know, right, that says in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? That's not what he says. He says the love, right? The lust, the, the go after it, the I need it, need it, need it, need it. I cannot survive without it. It sustains me. It gives me great pleasure to have all of the money. That's what he's talking about. That approach. That is the root of evil. Do you see the difference? Hopes and riches is not the problem here. It's not the problem. Hope in riches. That is where we become trapped. That's where we fall. That's where we get all crazy. Church, since the beginning, humanity, humanity has struggled with its own desire to be self-sufficient. We have struggled with this. It's, it's we want to, we want to do it. Right? It's the me, myself, and I. I obtained this. I achieved this. I got this. I earned it. I worked for it, right? We want to do this on our own. We don't want to have to rely on anyone, let alone we don't want to have to rely on God. We want to handle it ourselves. We want to be self-sufficient. Because the world says that if you did it on your own, then you can get your own plaque, your own award, and say, I did it my way. I'm full of songs today, ain't I? See, the first service didn't get those songs. 11 o'clock was where it's at. Now, you may not think this is your way, right? You may not, you may not think you're this way. Right? That's not how you, you operate. But let me ask you this, right? If your spouse, if the people that you love the most came into the room, right? You're sitting there watching TV, flicking the channels. If they came into the room and they said the following to you, there is no more money. There is no God. Drop. Which of these two phrases will cause you, oh my gosh, oh, you start breaking into a cold, like I'm sweating right now. You start breaking into a cold sweat. You start walking around like this, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my gosh, oh my God. What are we going to do? Which of these two will cause you to feel that way? I know what you're thinking. If you're sitting there saying you're the holy roller, I'll be like, no, there is no God. That's the one. Kudos to you. But most of us would say there is no money. The sky, you walk Chicken Little, anybody Chicken Little? Wow, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Like, we will walk around and, 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 and feel that approach, right? We will feel, we will, we will feel like, oh my gosh. Because for most of us, money, wealth, financial security quickly becomes a substitute for God. When we are in our deepest, driest moments, when someone comes and says there is no money, the bank account is zero, and there's no way to get it, we're going we're gonna to run, we're going to scream, we're going to faint, we're going to have heart attacks, we're going to do, it's, it's all going to happen all at once. Because 
money, wealth, financial security has become your God. That's why Paul says what he says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Yet another reminder that God is the one who provides for us. God is the one who blesses us. The word says that every good and perfect gift comes from his hand, not your hand. If you're reading that, you scratched his hand out and wrote yours. Because that's not what it says. God is the one who provides us with everything that we need. And here's the thing. He not just barely comes through. He doesn't just barely meet the need. He exceeds the need, right? He goes above and beyond, right? More than we can ever imagine, more than we can ever conceive, right? That's what the word of God promises. And we just sang, he is faithful. His promises are faithful. His promises are yes and amen. And will we hold on to that or will we go follow the dollar bill? Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. We should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation, as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Some translations say eternal life, right? Either way, the idea here is that they, that there are different ways to experience life other than just be rich or wealthy or financially secure. That there are other ways to experience true life. Paul is telling us what we know deep down inside to be true. And that is that having lots of money, right? Having lots of money might bring us a sense of security, but we know that it can never fully provide for us or protect us from the realities of the world. There is no amount of money in the world that can provide what only God can provide. That person, that one person, they live in Detroit. I'm trying to Google them, right? <laughs> you, you have not because you asked not. So I mean, <laughs> that person right now doesn't even want to mention their name. Because again, there's no money in the world that can provide what God can provide. Church, but as we learn to handle our money, in a way that honors God, you not only have enough to provide for yourself, but so enough to care for those you love, to care for others. And that is where you experience life at its fullest, when you're able to 
be a blessing when you're able to live a life of generosity, right? Because the core essence of life, right, the core essence of life, which is love, it's in, it, in its truest form when it gives itself away. When we actually go out and we love on people, we are giving of ourselves, right? This is not, this goes far beyond the I love you or man, I love you, hope it goes well. No, we are giving of ourselves in our time. We're giving ourselves in our finances. We are living a rich life. The reality here is that this means Many of us are going to have to change some things in order, uh, we're going to have to adjust, get to that goal to live this rich life. We're going to have to make some adjustments. We're going to have to tweak it, right, in order to, to uh, position ourselves to be better and do better with our finances in order to achieve this, this, this true life that, Tim, uh, that Paul is talking about in the letter to Timothy to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous may mean that we're going to have to give up lifestyles that, that, required, uh, that required debt, debt and, and possessions that we do not need. So in order to get this, this true life, we're going to have to give up the lifestyles that require us to be in debt in order to be possessors of certain things that kind of steer us away from meeting needs. It may mean that you need to change your schedule around, free up some time to do some good deeds for others. It's going to mean that, that you may need to run your business or do your job for more than just profit for more than to add zeros to your bank account. It may mean that we as a church need to be just as concerned for the good of the people outside our campus as we are for the people inside our campus. It may mean that you need to put some systems in place to deal with debt or to figure out a budget or to stick to your budget. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I, the word budget comes conversation in our home. I, I honestly think it's a daily thing, right? It's a daily thing. We talk about our budget daily. Sometimes I walk around like a kid. Right? And sometimes I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, right? And that's what this means. It means changing your life in order to make the adjustments, right? Changing the, the, the things that you do in order to, to, to feel this true life. Right? With Financial Peace University, is about learning about money, how we handle money, how we deal with money, how do we, how do we better align ourselves Right, sticking to a budget, creating a budget, sticking to the budget. What do we need to, you know, to take out? Right, to, you know, killing debt, all of that. Financial peace. I'll be uh, the facilitator of the course. Starts February 10th. Uh, you can go to the link right there, fpu.com/slash one one three three one one six. You can take a picture of that uh, and log. 
right? At this moment, there many of them are looking at the screen as well. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to learn about your finances, get a grip of your finances, right? Log on to that. There are several ways that you, uh, memberships that you can sign up for. Uh, and that will get you into the class. It will change your life. In fact, so much so that someone who we had said, we did this a uh, couple of, uh, actually, in 2019, I believe, we started the class. Several people of our church attended. Rich and Stephanie uh, were part of that class. And they, they have been following it. They, to, they started to implement it. And now they're in a position uh, right now to purchase a home. Right? And that's, that's incredible. Right? And so it works. It actually works. Okay? On top of that, this March, we're going to go through a four-week teaching series on how to handle our finances in a way that honors God and not a single message will come back to tithing. Not a single part of how to handle your finances for four weeks in a series called In God We Trust. So I want to encourage you to do not miss out in March's series. Okay? But today, I want to help reshape the way we think about tithing and generosity. Since one of the biggest challenges is that we lean towards this self-sufficiency and placing our hope in money, we have to be intentional about working that out, right? Which is one of the reasons that God instituted the idea of tithing so long ago. And why it still comes to, uh, it still continues to be one of the spiritual disciplines that we discuss here at South Hills. You see, Paul teaches us things to avoid, right? Putting our hope in wealth and becoming arrogant. He wants us to avoid that, right? But he also teaches us to think good deeds, be generous and with hope in God to do good and be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. Because when our goal is to accumulate, to pile on wealth, to build safety and maintain control of our own destiny through our finances, we naturally avoid giving, right? We naturally avoid giving because it feels like we're losing. Everything that we worked hard to attain, you're asking me to give? Now I got to give it? That doesn't make sense. I'm trying to build a net worth here, I told you. How is that going to work in my favor? It's going to stop me from reaching my goal. And so when our priority and our focus is skewed this way, we need to end up, we end up giving spontaneously, sporadically and sparingly, Right? Spontaneously, we mean meaning that uh, something tugs at our heart, and so we're moved. We're kind of guilted to give, whether that be a homeless man or walking or kids selling candy bars. Right there, we feel moved by that. Sporadically is when we don't have a plan for our giving; it just happens sporadically. So we're in the holiday spirit. Our family, uh, our family's in need. It feels generous, and it is being generous. But it doesn't do much to keep you from drifting away, right, or drifting towards arrogance and pride or hoping in riches. And then there's sparingly. There are lots of reasons not to give, right? We all have reasons not to give. The bills, the kids, the savings, college funds, emergency. It's been a crazy year with a lot of unknowns, right? You deserve it. You worked hard for it, all of it. But unless you have a plan 
in place, church, forgiving, your generosity will probably take a back seat to the other impulses and the desires that come up on a day-to-day basis. That's why in my home, the budget word is used every day. And in the same way that it is difficult to define rich, right, because it's a moving target, it's incredibly difficult to uh, define the word generous. In fact, nobody considers themselves rich, but everybody thinks of themselves as being generous. Think about that. Generosity is hard to define. It's so important to to put a framework, right, to put some guidelines, to put some bumper guards here uh, to to scan it out, whether you are uh, 10 years old, 20 years old, 50 years old, 100 years old. These things help us position ourselves to be better and do better. And so for us to embrace this call to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to to share, for us to fight against pride and arrogance and and misplaced hope, we think that through giving, we we, we have this approach that, that giving in these three ways helps us. Priority, percentage, and progressive. Priority is making it the top dog. Right? It's making it important. When Monica and I first got married, that wasn't the deal. She believed in it and I didn't believe. I, I didn't even go to church. And so I, I couldn't understand that. I said, here's my $10. Maybe next week I got $10 more. Maybe. Right? We didn't practice that. And that hurt us. We got in a whole lot of mess because of that. And so we decided... Right? Once I gave my heart and I started understanding things, right, that God is in control, that he is my provider, we began to make, our, make it intentional to give. We had to make it a priority. He had given us more than we needed. And if we couldn't be generous with what we had now, we'd never be generous with what he was going to give us later. Right? And since generosity is a moving target, right, You can be financially poor and also be generous. That's what it means to make it a priority. It says that I'm going to be generous with what God has provided me with. So make giving, tithing, generosity, good deeds a priority. Then there's a percentage. Once we made it a priority, Monica and I said, now we need to make it a percentage. What percentage are we going to do? We need to choose a percentage. And we decided on the giving of 10%. Let me give you a story. Last year, Jeff Bezos, which is founder, president, everything, CEO, CFO, he's the the wherewithal of Amazon, right? I've I've contributed to this. He he committed to giving $10 billion to charity. Woo! $10 billion dollars. To charity, that is absolutely amazing. But he also made $15.6 billion in just the first seven weeks of the pandemic. Right? A large amount to you might not feel, right? A large amount to you today might not feel like a large amount 10 years from now. Scriptures talk a lot about the tithe, right, about the tithes that, uh, the tithe that brings about these 
these, this generous understanding, this, this generous giving that, come, that brings about what God has provided, right, to you. It is something that we do. It's the tenth part. So this is the goal, earn or some sort of acceptance or love from God. He loves you no matter what. His love is free. We give because it's a command and it is part of what keeps our heart healthy. Avoiding pride and arrogance, staying focused on God and our security and our hope. And lastly, progressive. Paul doesn't command us to be generous because he wants our money but because he doesn't want our money to have us. We need to be on top of our money. We need to be in control of our money and not our money having control of us. So let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this teaching and this series up. A little over on time here, but I want to quickly give you four quick practical things that you can do starting today. Number one, good deeds. Begin to do good deeds. Some of you are writing checks. That's incredible. You're tithing. You're being generous. You're giving to beyond our walls. But you don't want anything to do with showing up and serving. There's an imbalance there. This is not just about giving financially. This is about doing good deeds as well. Where are you serving? What are you doing? How are you helping other people? Next practical step is to tithe. Some of you need to make this a priority in your life and choose a percentage. Stop making the excuses. Stop. This hasn't done you any good. You're not making him richer. You're not making the church richer. You're positioning yourself to fall into what he's asking of you so that you may experience true life. Number three, be generous. Some of you need to grow in this area. Your life, your job, your situation has changed and you have more capacity now to give than ever before. You don't know how, you don't know where. We need to be gentle. Southfield students launching in a few weeks. And no sooner do I say amen and leave the door, someone came up to me and said, I want to give this amount of money to Southfield students. That right there is a generous person. I didn't ask for any money, I didn't say we had a need, but a generous person gives. And you don't need to be asked to give when you're generous. You just give. And lastly, the 90-day challenge. When you came in this morning, you were given a card, 90 days challenge. It's real simple. There's a box that says, I will give a tithe, a percentage. There's another box that says, I will give to beyond the walls. This is how it breaks down. If you've never tithed before, never selected a percentage to give, that's the box that you would check off. But if you've been giving your tithes and you've never given to Beyond Our Walls, the challenge is to step up, step it up and, and now give to Beyond Our Walls. Whatever that is, 
whatever percentage, maybe 10% is too big of a bite for you. I get it. I understand. Start somewhere. Start at five. Work your way up. But here's the thing with this 90-day challenge. This is how it works. Whatever box you choose to give, you be faithful for the next 90 days to do so. We as a church are going to pray along with you that you keep up with that challenge. And if after those 90 days, you don't see a movement of God in your life, whether that be a financial blessing, whether that be a spiritual blessing, whether that be a physical or mental blessing, if in your home, in your finances, whatever, the challenge is we are going to refund you everything that you gave within those 90 days. No questions asked. Because this is not about the church. This is about you and God. This is about your faith in God. Is he your provider or is he not? Is he the one that meets and exceeds your needs or is he not? So this is about your faith. Take the 90 days. Take the challenge. We're going to pray with you. And within those 90 days, if God doesn't do something, you come, you tell me, and I'll request Put in a request to get your money back. Every single last penny of it. Amen.